The title of my sermon is Tell No Lies. Tell No Lies. Here's the big idea. And I think you'll agree with this. Our approach, our approach to truth reveals who we belong to. You could say our experience with truth. But our approach to truth reveals who we belong to. Children, at least when I was a kid, um, are often heard rattling off the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And this is simply untrue. This is untrue. I I think all of us would agree that is untrue. Words have the power to destroy reputations and even lives have been lost due to slanderous words spoken. Now, all of us, I I think, try to rate lies based on the potential damage we think they may cause. We define a white lie as a lie that we think will cause little or no harm. An employee may fudge a report and justify his falsity by saying, who is this going to hurt in the long run? Right? It's only going to benefit the company and the employees, but we know a lie is a lie is a lie. Exodus 20.16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, where are we headed this morning? We'll be looking at four things, answering four questions. Number one, What is the ninth commandment getting at? Number two, (laughs) why do we lie? All of us have. All of us do. Why do we do that? Why do we lie? Number three, why, and this is so important, why must the church champion the truth? And number four, how does the ninth commandment point to Christ in the gospel? The word translated as false witness comes from the Hebrew shaker, and it means deception, if you're taking notes, falsehood, fraud, betrayal, and disappointment. Lies betray and lies disappoint. They wound and even kill. Now, some may be surprised to find this particular commandment amongst the big ten. or These are the big ten, right? The ten commandments. And lying, are we really going to place lying beside murder and adultery? Yes, because lying is never far away from these atrocious acts. For example, and I think you'll see that every time, and this is just me trying to place this in context, every time we transgress one of the Ten Commandments, it's because we've bought into some lie, okay? So lying is really at the heart of all our sinning. For example, those who fail to worship the one true God revealed in Jesus Christ have bought into the lie that salvation can be found in someone or something else other than Christ. That's a lie. But when we commit idolatry, we're buying into a lie, aren't we? Those who steal, as we saw last week, have bought into the lie that they must have, that they need that particular thing, and they'll get it at any cost, right? They'll even take it if it doesn't belong to them because they bought into the lie that they have to have that thing to be happy. Deception covers all of our sins. 
Deception covers all of our sins. So number one, what is the ninth commandment getting at? Walt Kaiser notes, the ninth commandment calls for sanctity of truth in all areas of life. To despise, to despise the truth was to despise God whose very being and character are what? Truth. Let's make sure that we understand the ninth commandment in its original context, its original historical context. So in the first instance, or at the first level, the ninth commandment applies, maybe you're surprised by this, but to the court system, to the court system. Witnesses in the court of law must tell the truth in order for a fair, just, and right decision to be made, to be rendered. They must give the facts for the right outcome to occur. Right, so this was serious. This was a serious issue for to lie or present false information was to literally jeopardize the fate of another. Proverbs 14.25, a truthful witness saves lives, but one who breathes out lies is deceitful. Doug Stewart said, and again, this is helpful because this is the initial original context, historical context. If witnesses in a trial, whether civil or criminal, do not tell the truth, it is extremely difficult for judges to render proper decisions. In other words, the court system of a nation depends on the honesty of its people. Now, I've, I've lived in and spent significant time in countries that were considered very corrupt. Albania, considered very corrupt. If you give money to the right people, you can get whatever outcome you desire. When I lived in Africa, in Cameroon, people told me, this is the most corrupt country in Africa, right? If you get stopped by the police, you can give them money and they'll let you go. So again, if there's corruption, forget about it. Forget about it. In order for there to be... God honoring justice and fairness in the community of God's people, the truth had to be told and championed, especially in the legal process. Now, why is this so important? Because God cares about justice, and so should we. Amen? God cares about justice, and again, that word just means doing right. God cares about justice, and so should we. He cares about the innocent being protected and vindicated. An honest witness may result in the innocent being vindicated. And yet, you're thinking, is that it? Have we plumbed the depths of this commandment? No. And yet, as is true with all the commandments, the ninth commandment carries a much broader application. Now, who's read The Institutes by John Calvin? It's good reading. I think Aaron ordered a copy for everyone today. Is it in the book? No, no I wish we could do that. Pretty pricey, I imagine. But Calvin, in his Institutes, gives the following summary on the purpose of the Ninth Commandment. He says, Let us not malign anyone with slander or false charges, nor harm his substance by falsehood. In short, injure him by unbridled evil speaking and impudence. To this prohibition, the command is linked that we should faithfully help Everyone 
as much as we can in affirming the truth. In order, here's the purpose, to protect the integrity of his name and possessions. Hence, the commandment is lawfully observed when our tongue, in declaring the truth, serves both the good repute and advantage of our neighbors. Now, if God is truth, amen? If God is truth, then we who claim to belong to God should be people of of truth. Otherwise, we slander his name. The, The Bible warns against a lying tongue. Therefore, a lying tongue should be rejected. Proverbs 12, 22. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. So would you rather be uh, (laughs) considered to be God's delight, his object of delight, or an abomination? It's not a trick question, right? (laughs) Hopefully you want the Lord, you desire for the Lord to delight in you. So be people of the, be people of the truth, tell the truth. Proverbs 25, 18, a man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a war club or a sword or a sharp arrow. And what do those things do? They cause harm. They cause death. Proverbs 19.9, a false witness will not go unpunished, and he who breathes out lies will perish. So lying is more than just telling an untruth. If that's all you think it is, you're wrong. Okay? It's not that simple. So lying is more than just telling an untruth. It includes things like slander, Gossip, flattery, and exaggeration. Hyperbole. Let's examine these things. Let's start with slander. What is slander? 1 Peter 2.1, Peter says, and he's talking to believers, so put away, put it away. So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Church, we should put away slander. Colossians 3.8, but now you must put them all away. I mean, Paul and Peter are fond of this language of, as Christians, we've put on the new and we've put off the, the old. And what belongs in that category of old, the old us, the old you, is slander. So put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Psalm, let's go to the Old Testament, Psalm 101, verse 5. Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. Whoa. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. So slander, according to these passages, describes one's life before trusting in Jesus. As Christians, we should say slander no more. Therefore, for those of us who have been crucified with Christ, who have died to sin, slander is to be Put off, put away. Slander implies speaking lies that can endanger someone's life. In fact, slander is all about destructive intent. It intends to destroy. It's speech that intends to destroy another. Their reputation, even their life physically. So one who slanders means to harm another by telling lies about them. Slander is deliberate. It doesn't just happen accidentally or haphazardly. Slander is deliberate, and again, it has as its goal the destruction of another image bearer. Slander is murderous. Next, we have gossip, and thankfully, none of us are familiar with that. 
Maybe you've never even heard that word. Praise God. I don't think that's true, though. I don't. Proverbs 16, 28, a dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer, a whisperer separates close friends. Gossip is usually spread by those who don't know the whole story. They've heard snippets of the truth without checking the source. They knowingly spread. This is why it's so dangerous and so foolish. Gossipers, they normally spread what they don't know to be truth to gain an audience, right? For popularity's sake. Man, did you hear what she did? Did you hear what happened the other day with so-and-so? How selfish. This is extremely dangerous. And maybe this will surprise you, but as Christians, I hope we can all amen this. The one speaking the gossip and the one listening to it are equally guilty, okay? The one speaking it and the one listening are both equally guilty. Proverbs 17.4, an evildoer listens to wicked lips, and a liar, listen to this, a liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. So even the liar is considered the one who listens to that which is not true. That's dangerous. Beware of these words. Do you know what I heard the other day? Stop! There it is. If we don't, that's my son, I can tell. If we don't know something to be true, then we should not speak about it and we shouldn't listen to it. So a, a couple of ways to shut down gossip. Who wants to be a, a gossip shutter downer? Here's a couple of things. First, leave the conversation. Man, you're not going to believe what I heard. Er, I got to go. I'm not taking part in that. Okay, that's just not wise. So just don't participate. Just walk away from the conversation. Second, <laughs> ask the person if you can quote them. Can I, can I quote you on that? Oh, I mean, I was just playing. I got to go. Yeah, I, I thought so, right? That'll shut down the conversation quick. Next, there's flattery. And this is really dangerous. What's flattery? This amounts to insincere speech. You're not being sincere. You're not being genuine. One brother writes, this is such a good definition. Flattery is saying something to someone's face that you would never say behind their back. Right? Man, you are, you are such a good person. You are so kind. But man, you don't, you don't say that about them when they're not around because you don't mean it. Right? You're trying to maybe build favor. Proverbs 26, 28. A lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruin. A flattering mouth works ruin. Proverbs 29.5, a man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. I think oftentimes what's happening here is just we're being cowardly, right? We, we don't want to say the hard things, so we say the untrue things, when in reality, what do they need? They might need some hard truths. Hey, listen, man, the way you talk to your son in front of people like that, that's not good. You're, you're not being a good representative of Christ. Let's talk about that. Instead of, oh, you're the best dad. You do everything perfectly as a dad. Come on, man. Is that what they need to hear? You're setting them up for ruin. Flattery and accountability 
cannot coexist. Okay? Does that make sense? If you're going to hold someone accountable, you've got to tell them the what. You've got to tell them the truth. Finally, there's exaggeration. And none of us do this, I'm sure, right? To exaggerate, especially hunters. Man, that buck, dude, it was... I mean, like that. Or fishing. <laughs> but to exaggerate is to distort the truth. It's to blow truth out of proportion. Now, again, some may say, well, Chris, I'm just being hyperbolic. You know, I'm just, I mean, they know, but listen, can we afford to be cavalier with the truth? Can we? If the truth matters, then the answer is what? No, of course not. Now, when I say I could eat a horse, you guys know I'm not, maybe, Aaron, you think, I think he could. He might could. I don't know. Again, the one who exaggerates may mean well, but the problem is when exaggeration occurs, the facts are lost. And that just can't happen, right? So the Bible, and that's why I read all these Proverbs, the Bible clearly warns against all these behaviors. Slander, gossip, flattery, and exaggeration. The next question, or questions, here they are. Why do we lie? Why do people lie? And, and really, where does lying come from? So number two, why do we lie? Why do we lie? As we've seen, and, and I've started this second question in every sermon by taking us to Mark 7. Because where does all sin begin? We don't catch sin like a disease. Sin is inherent. It's part of our sin nature. It comes from the, comes from the heart, right? Man, I heard you caught sin the other day. What? No, man, I, I was born a sinner, okay? In Mark 7, 21 to 22, Jesus declares, now listen, he says, For from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, that was last week, murder, adultery, coveting, that's next week, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. So lying, where does it come from? Originates from a sinful heart. Man, Nathan, looking so handsome. Dude. That's a baby I'm talking to, by the way. A little baby. Lying originates from a sinful heart. But where's the first lie found? Where? Where was the first lie told? The Garden of Eden, right? So let's go to Genesis 3-4. Here we have recorded the first lie in Scripture. And this is really important for answering the question, why do we lie? Genesis 3-4. But the serpent said to the woman... You will not surely die. Truth or a lie? It's a lie. Because what did God say? When you eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, you will what? You will die. And what did Satan say? I'm not going to die. God is truth. Satan is a liar. Satan audaciously contradicts the word of the Lord. Let's just go back. Let's read the truth. Genesis 2, 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Now, what was the purpose of Satan's lie? What was the purpose of Satan's lie? Not only to contradict God, because again, that's what he does. He's a liar not only to contradict God, but to cause Adam and Eve to doubt God. 
Namely, His goodness, His love, His sovereignty, His truthfulness. In Genesis 3.5, Satan continues by saying, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God. You'll be just like Him, knowing good and evil. The purpose of Satan's lie was to sow seeds of doubt in the hearts of Adam and Eve to make them believe that they could do life independently of God, and that is the biggest lie all of us have bought into. It's that lie of self-sufficiency. It's that lie of, I'm good, I'm okay, I don't need God, I got this. That is the most damning lie we could ever believe. It's true? We're going to come back to this later. But Satan, and, and man, I love JB. Who's JB? John the Baptist, my boy. You better believe in glory, JB. Just, ah. Well, I mean, I've been practicing my own little secret handshake with JB. I'm not going to show you because, yeah, anyways. Listen to this. Satan, by lying, was seeking to decrease God and increase Adam and Eve. But remember what JB said, John the Baptist? I must decrease and he must increase. I love that. So again, Satan by lying was seeking to decrease God, increase Adam and Eve, conveying that God's plan was somehow deficient and theirs supreme. At the heart of all lying is idolatry. Do you realize that? We lie to feed our idols. All lying is an attempt to assert God in his glory. Again, why do we lie? <laughs> I think I put this in your notes. I did. Sadly, we often lie, we peddle lies, either to make ourselves look good or to bring others down. And we bring others down. Why? Because we want to be in the limelight. We are glory stealers. Sin begets more sin. Because of sin, we often believe the worst of people because it makes us feel and look better. We don't care if it's true or not. We care how it makes us feel. We ref- and this is, again, talking about gossip. We refuse to research because we are more committed to what we want to believe than the truth itself. One example of this is seen in my dialogue with unbelievers. Who's ever talked to an unbeliever? Hopefully all of us. Who's ever tried to share the gospel with an unbeliever? I hope all of us who claim to be Christians. This is what I'll often get. Maybe the unbeliever will say, well, you just can't trust the Bible because it was written by men, right? Or, you know, Jesus can't be the only way. And here's my question always, my follow-up. How did you come to that conclusion? How did you come to that conclusion? How did you come to your position? And what I'll get in return every time is not the fruit of careful research, but slogans, grandiose statements void of any substance. Because, again, because of sin, we're not really concerned with truth, are we? We believe what we want to believe, and as Paul tells us, we suppress the truth. Oftentimes, and this is sad, and I think this even happens in the church, oftentimes we may hear of someone we're not very fond of. We may hear that their character is being smeared. And because we already don't like them, (laughs) we we quickly believe, or we're prone to believe what's being said rather than going to the source. Yeah, that sounds like them. I'm sure that's right. Do you know that every commandment must be read alongside commandments one and two? God starts where he does for a reason. Let me give you an example. So let's go back. These are the first two commandments. 
You shall have, Exodus 20, verses 3 and 4, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, an idol, right, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or on the earth below or that is in the water under the earth, okay? The God, little g, everybody say little g, the God, little g, that longs for our hearts and the idol that we struggle with the most is one in the same, it's self. Itself. As we just saw, we tell lies oftentimes to make ourselves look good or to get ahead or to bring someone down so that we can be in the limelight because, again, we are by nature glory stealers. We naturally care more about our glory and our reputation and our happiness rather than God and others. What about this question? What does a lying tongue reveal? You a liar. That's what it reveals. I mean, that's true. Yeah. Let's go a little deeper, though. Who is a lying tongue characteristic of? Satan. We know that lying is his native tongue. Okay? Recall the garden. We just talked about that. Twice, Satan lies. God didn't say, and if you disobey, you can be just like him. Rendering God superfluous. You can be God, right? You can be the man. Our experience with the truth reveals who we belong to. If lying, now this is, this is important. If lying is our normal speech, then we show that we belong to the father of lies. Man, Jesus, I mean, John eight forty four. listen to what Jesus says. He's talking to the religious leaders. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. You guys remember Psalm 115? <clears throat> the psalmist, in Psalm, this is a great psalm, by the way, and if you're coming on Wednesday nights, we'll get to it eventually. The psalmist in Psalm 115 juxtaposes the one true sovereign God and the false gods, the idols of the pagan nations, okay? And when you juxtapose something, you're, you're bringing them together in a sense to kind of compare and contrast, right? That's what it means. <clears throat> Here's what's interesting, though. There is a common denominator between the one true God and the false gods that are really no gods at all of the pagan nations. Both have the power to transform the latter to our detriment. I mean, doesn't worshiping idols have the power to transform us? Not for good, but for what? For evil. Here's, here's the psalmist's point. Psalm 115, 4 to 8, their, idor, their, idors, their idols are silver and gold. And this, I mean, this just brings it to light how foolish idol worship is. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak, eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not what? Smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throats. So you're thinking, well, they're dumb, they're lifeless. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. Those who lie, okay, those who lie show that they belong to these false gods. Idolatry is a lie. 
it's, I mean, at the end of the day, idolatry is a lie. It's believing in a lie. It's trusting in a lie. It's relying on a lie. Those who worship idols become like them, marked by what? Untruth. Just like their idols. A lying tongue reveals one's heart and one's God. Now, okay, that's, that's one side. What about those who are marked by the truth? So if you're marked by untruth, if untruth, if lies is the way you speak normally, naturally, consistently, then you belong to the father of lies. But if you're marked by truth and you speak the truth and you care about the truth, what? You belong to the Lord. What about those who are committed to truth? God speaks truth. Christ is the truth. When we speak truth, we honor the king. How you speak and what you speak is indicative of who you belong to. And this brings us to our next question, number three. Why must the church champion the truth? As we just saw, God is truth. It is his character. And God gives us the Holy Spirit so that we follow Jesus as king and imitate him. And Jesus was marked by what? Truth. If you recall the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, which one stands out in light of our sermon? Faithfulness. The Spirit works in the people of God to produce faithfulness. And what is faithfulness? The Greek word used for faithfulness in Galatians 5 refers to the state of being someone in whom complete confidence can be placed. Trustworthiness, dependability, faithfulness. One brother writes, faithfulness, I love this, faithfulness is the character of somebody you know you can simply rely on all the time. Who wants to be someone like that? Someone that you can rely on all the time. Well, who do we know that we can rely on all the time? Who do we know is always there for us, with us? Promises are true. The Lord, right? And who should we resemble as followers of Christ? The Lord. And who does the Father and the Son give us so that we look like Christ? The Spirit. It makes sense that the Spirit would work to produce this particular characteristic, faithfulness, truthfulness in God's people, for God's faithfulness is one of his most defining characteristics. Agreed? God has proven his faithfulness from Genesis to Revelation time and time again throughout Scripture. God is truth. He speaks truth. Those who belong to him speak truth. Does this matter? Yes. Who would you rather resemble, Satan or the Lord? And by the Spirit, we can resemble who? The Lord. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 8, 26, I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I've heard from him. 1 John 5, 20, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Next, so again, why must the church champion the truth? Because as Christians, we belong to God. God is truth. We need to resemble him. Amen? Secondly, 
Can relationships exist without truth? Say it in Spanish. No. The church is called and empowered to be a relational body, but we know that relationships cannot flourish if they're not built on what? Honesty, truth. We are a body committed by God to do the one another's found in the scriptures. We are committed to each other's sanctification. Everybody said, amen. But again, in order for any relationship to work, what must be present? Honesty, truthfulness. When lies are present, truth is absent. And where truth is absent, you'll find a broken community. Ephesians 4.25. This is Paul's word to the church in Ephesus. Listen to what he says. Therefore, church, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. What was the expectation among God's people? They were to speak the what? Why? Because they belong to each other. Paul, in Ephesians 4.25, highlights the importance of honest words for God's church. And he grounds the call. This is important. He grounds the call to speak truth to fellow believers in our unity in Christ. When we lie to one another, we are doing harm to the whole body of believers. Each member will be affected because a divided body is an unhealthy body. So, the first thing is this. The, the first reason why the church must champion the truth, I'm looking at a hole in my finger. I drilled a hole in my finger yesterday, just looking at it. Ugh. Wiped the blood on my face, and then I went hunting. No, I didn't. I'm just kidding. <laughs> truth, truth. The first reason the church must champion the truth, number one, why? Because as Christians, we resemble the king, and the king is all about the truth. And so we need to resemble our Savior King. Amen? Number two, we're called to be a relational body. In order for relationships to work, they have to be built on truth. Number three, and this one is huge. This is so important. As Christians, we have been commissioned to bear witness to the truth. What is our primary vocation? To make disciples declaring the truth. And yet, if we're marked by untruth, will the world believe us? No, of course not. I mean, come on, friends. I mean, if you have a friend or an acquaintance who's known for telling lies and they say something, are you just quick to say, oh, yeah, that's truth? No, you're like, ah, probably not, because they consistently tell untruth, right? If we, I mean, this has to do with our vocation. If we, as people of God, are commissioned to make disciples by giving the gospel the good news that is true, and yet we're marked by untruth, why would the world believe us? Our mission is at stake here, friends. Again, but here's the good news, and I'll come back to this in a minute. But those who have been united to Christ by grace through faith are empowered to speak the truth. Case in point, those who have the spirit of truth are empowered to speak the truth. There's much at stake here. The, the third point, I, I, I can't emphasize this enough. The gospel, namely the, the purity of the gospel is at stake here. If you're a part of God's church, say amen. amen. Okay, amen. Um, you know the Lord. We trust the Lord. We believe that Jesus lived, died, and rose again. We believe that's true. 
And if we're called to take that message, which is true to the world, we need to be people who champion the, the truth consistently. As with all sin, the heart is the source. However, the tongue, I almost said stick out your tongue, but that wouldn't be, that'd be rude. So I'm not going to have you do that. The tongue and the heart are interconnected, meaning that from the heart, the tongue speaks. Okay? So hold on to that. Even though sin originates in the heart, the tongue is the primary means of deception. Therefore, Christians must be vigilant in guarding their what? Their tongues. I mean, this is James. <laughs> we must put our tongues to work, not for our own selfish goals, but for the king and his glory. Amen? I mean, who wants to put their tongue to work that you were given by God as a gift to praise God to God for his glory? Two examples of what that might look like. Number one, Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. 2 Corinthians 5.20. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. Paul says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. In sum, speaking the truth shows, number one, who we belong to. It is paramount, number two, to healthy relationships in the church. And three, it commends the gospel we are called to proclaim to the lost. How dare we be marked consistently by untruth and yet claim to be heralds of truth? That doesn't work. Number four, last question. How does the ninth commandment point to Jesus in the gospel? Let's come back to the lie of the garden. This lie continues. It continues to be propagated by our sinful hearts. It's the lie. This is the most damning lie. It is the lie that we don't need God. That is the lie of the garden. Hey, guys, you know what? Just eat. Enjoy that fruit. Because when you do, you're going to be God. You won't need God anymore. That's a lie. That is the heart of all lies. That is the king of lies. But all the lies that we believe and tell come from that one lie. That makes sense. So this is the first lie we must deal with. Is true? This is the first lie that we have to confess. We've got to reject it. We've got to hate it. We've got to confess it. And again, what is the lie? The first lie to be dealt with is the lie we tell ourselves, we're okay. We're okay. We don't need God we can save ourselves. I got this. I don't need God. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. This lie must be abandoned. Again, there's no lie more damning than this. This is the first lie that we must address, the lie that we're okay, because we're not. We're not okay. We're not good. Romans 3, we're not good. Are you good? I'm good, man. No, you're not. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. Who is good but God? Who is good but the Son of God? We're not good. We're not okay. We're sinners in need of a Savior. That's the truth. But the lie is, we're good. I'm okay. I got this. I don't need God. I can take care of it. I can save myself. I got a pretty good track record, and that should be enough. Should be enough. You really want (laughs) to... That's risky, bro. If you're a girl, bro, Hannah. 1 John 1, 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. That is the the big lie. Self-deception. I don't have sin. 
If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. What's the solution? It's found in the very next verse. What is the solution to that lie, that damning lie? I'm not a sinner. I'm okay. I don't need God. I can handle this. Hey, Abby. Good to see you. How's school going? Good. Here's the solution. It's found in the next verse, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What is going on here? If we confess our sin, we're acknowledging several things. What are they? One, we're not okay. Because what are we? We're a sinner. Is it okay to be a sinner? Christ died for sinners. He died because of our sin. So it's not okay to be a sinner. You're not good if you're a sinner. And guess what? All of us are sinners. So we're acknowledging several things here when we confess our sin. One, we're not okay. We're acknowledging the problem, namely our sinful selves. And we are further acknowledging our inability to remedy our problem. In confessing our sin, we are calling out to God for help. The good news, you ready for it? At the cross, Jesus took all of our lies, all of our unfaithfulness, all of our failures. And in exchange, those who trust in him, we get his perfect faithfulness. We get his perfect record of righteousness applied to us. Oh my goodness. Are you kidding me? Nope, that is the truth of the gospel. At the cross, he took all of our lies, all of our deception, all of our unfaithfulness. He took the penalty, the punishment for all of that, and we who trust in him, we get his perfect record of righteousness placed in our account. And now the Father sees those who have trusted in Jesus, not as unrighteous, not as unfaithful, but as faithful and righteous because of the Son who now represents them. Amen? I don't know of any better news, because there's not. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him, trusting in Jesus, clinging to Jesus, we might what? We might become the righteousness of God. Skip Ryan notes, this is such a good quote. And I, I did put this in your notes, because I really like it. He who never lied hung on the cross as a liar. When God looks at you, and he's talking about believers here, those who trust in Jesus, when God looks at you and me, who have trusted in Jesus, he sees the perfect righteousness of Christ's truth-keeping. Maybe you didn't hear that. He who never lied hung on the cross as a liar. He took our place, right? He became sin for us. When God looks at you and me, those who have trusted in Christ, he sees the perfect righteousness of Christ's truth-keeping. Those who trust in Jesus the truth are given the spirit of truth for understanding and growing in the truth. Amen? Those who trust in Jesus, who is the truth, are given the spirit of truth for understanding and growing in truth. I love John 17. Not just Jesus' prayer, but listen to what he says at the end. John 17, 17. Or I guess in the middle, actually. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is... Who wants to grow in truth? Who wants to be a brother or sister committed to the truth? Then where do you need to be? The word sanctify means to make holy. Think to, to be sanctified is to become more like Christ. We know that's a process. It doesn't happen overnight, right? What does happen overnight, instantaneously, when you trust in Jesus, is you're justified. You're declared right before God. Amen? 
But then this process begins by which the Spirit of God is working through the Word of God and making us more like the Son of God. And you can't do that without the... Remember that... And again, I'm, I'm, you know, Paul's the math guy, but I, I do know this equation. A plus B equals C. The Spirit plus the Word equals sanctification. You take out the Word, what's not going to happen? Take away the Spirit, what's not going to happen? You need the Spirit in the Word for sanctification to happen. Jesus says... Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The Lord graciously sanctifies us in the truth by the spirit of truth working through the word of truth. John 14, 16, and 17, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. 1 Corinthians 2, 14 The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Thanks be to God who gives his people, those who have trusted in Jesus, the Spirit of truth. Thanks be to God who gives his people the Word of truth. So again, talk about godly, gracious resources. We get the Spirit, we get the Word, we get the Spirit of truth, we get the word of truth. I'm not sure where that came from. We get the spirit of truth. We get the word of truth. The spirit of God. What is the spirit doing? The spirit of God grows in us a greater love for God's truth. Convicts us when we don't speak the truth. And empowers us to be proclaimers of the truth. One more time. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth that we have, those who have trusted in Jesus, amen? The Spirit of truth grows in us, God's people, those who belong to Jesus, a greater love for the truth, convicts us when we don't speak the truth, and gives us the power to be proclaimers of the truth. Lastly, a warning here. Let me end with a warning. We engage in falsehood not only when we speak lies, but when we listen to and believe lies. John 10, 27. I think, Travis, I mentioned I was going to, yeah, at lunch on, what was it? It was Friday that I was going to mention John 10. So here it is. I told you I'd do it. I'm doing it. Truth. John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. If you belong to Jesus, then you know his voice. Practice hearing that voice more and more so that you can discern what? The voices of the world. Read and study the word. How does a bank teller spot a counterfeit? I told you at our church in Washington, uh, one of our members was a bank teller for like 25 years. And I said, so do you guys like study everything on the market right now? All the false bills, the counterfeits? He goes, no, we never look at the counterfeits. We study the authentic so that we can what? Spot the counterfeit. Because the more familiar we are with the genuine, the authentic, the more quickly we'll recognize the inauthentic, the false. And I said, oh my goodness, that is his sermon illustration. She's like, okay, use it. (laughs) Engage in the study of God's word so that you can discern truth from untruth. Immerse yourselves in the scriptures so that God's truth comes out. Those who hide the truth in their hearts will speak it. Parents, where are my parents at? There's a few of you, good. Speak the truth to your children. Amen? Speak the truth to your children. 
introduce them to the truth, God's word. I often tell my boys, Clarky, Taylor boys tell the, the truth. Yeah, Taylor boys tell the truth. Why? Because God is true. God is true. Champion the truth in your homes. Last question, do you know the truth? Who is the truth? Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth. Do you know the truth? Have you trusted in the truth, Jesus, or have you settled for a lie, a damning lie that I'm okay, I'll be okay? No, you won't, because what have we established? You're our, I am, we are sinners. We're not good. We're not okay. We need a savior. The first lie that all of us have to deal with is, I'm okay. I'm good. No, you're not. I'm not. But there is one who is good, perfectly, who is righteous, who is faithful, Jesus, who lived the perfect life that we cannot live, who died the death we deserve and rose again, proving all his claims are true, making a way for sinners like us to be reconciled to God. So stop believing the lie. Don't give in to self-deception. Acknowledge with me that we are sinners, but there is a glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. Trust in him. Embrace him. Turn from your sin and believe in Jesus. And you'll be what? you'll be saved. Let's rejoice in that good news and let's go tell that good news to others today. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God of truth. Help us to aid with a holy hatred, untruth. Help us to turn from untruth. Make us aware this morning, today, this week of areas in our life where we've gotten lazy. Maybe we've given in to gossip at work Maybe we have flattered our bosses, those in authority over us, to try to gain favor because we've made that next position an idol. Father, if any of us here are lying, exaggerating, gossiping, slandering, bring conviction by the Spirit through the Word. Help us to champion the truth. Help us to be bold proclaimers of the truth. Help us to know your truth in your Word, to hide it in our hearts and to leave this place with a greater commitment to the great commission of making disciples by proclaiming the gospel of truth. God, we thank you that you are true, that we can depend on you. I pray that we would be able to depend on each other, that we'd be honest and dependable brothers and sisters in Christ, so that the relationships here at this local body can flourish and grow for your glory. And all God's people said, in the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Amen.